Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. It's not so much about giving the customers places to share their thoughts and feelings. It's more about showing that you respond to them. So one of the things that we did really early on is we built a quite agile supply chain. And the goal of that was really to be able to respond to customer needs. If we wanted to create a customer-driven company, we had to be able to respond to customer needs. And it's one thing to have these amazing insights and to be innovative. And a lot of companies have the ability to do that, but if you can't respond in a timely manner, does it really matter? Rachel Drury has come a long way from the days of filling a shopping cart at Trader Joe's and packing up healthy frozen meals for delivery to customers all around New York, all while being nine months pregnant. As the founder and CEO of Daily Harvest, Rachel bootstrapped her company from the very beginning and eventually had a few big names reach out to invest, including folks like Serena Williams and Gwyneth Paltrow. In 2019, Daily Harvest generated more than $125 million in revenue, and the company is growing. So what makes Rachel's meal delivery service different from others? The heavy focus on customer centricity. When Rachel founded Daily Harvest, her goal was to build a customer-driven company that connected people with food that was designed specifically for them. But what did that look like from a practical standpoint? And what can others learn from Rachel's journey? On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, we'll give you the answers to just those questions. So stay tuned and enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hey everyone, it is Stephanie. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is Stephanie Postles, your host and co-founder of Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Rachel Drury, the founder and CEO of Daily Harvest. Rachel, welcome, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So yesterday in the mail, I got an amazing box of Daily Harvest, and it was the perfect way for me to understand exactly what it was and enjoy it this morning. But to kick it off, maybe I'll let you explain what Daily Harvest is. First of all, I need to know what you tried first. And then (laughs) (laughs) I tried a smoothie. And today I'm going to be trying uh, one of the soups in there. I think there was a lentil soup that you just add water to. I'm like, this is this is what I need in my life. Something that you just add water to or just add like coconut water to make a smoothie and it's done. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, I started Daily Harvest about five years ago. This, the mission is simple. It's really to take care of food so that food can take care of all of us. And we do this by starting at the root with our farmers and we grow the best fruits and vegetables in the best way possible. And then we make incredible food, which I'm glad you got to try. Yeah. Like harvest bowls and smoothies and flatbreads, ice cream, 
alongside with the people who eat it are customers. Um, and the idea is that you can then stock your home with convenient, but also clean and delicious food that's built on real fruits and vegetables. And part of our magic is really connecting people with the food that was designed specifically for them so that you're really always stocked with a whole food kitchen of clean food when you want it and it's ready in minutes. I love that. I think so on my Twitter, I posted a picture of my freezer and what it looks like. And it was kind of sad because there was like waffles next to one of them. I'm like, womp, womp, this is like my life. I have waffles and then now a new experience that I don't think I'll be able to step away from after this. Well, that's what I like to hear. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. People have been buying uh, additional freezers in the last few months. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I support this message. I support <laughs> that very much. That is awesome. So tell me a little bit about the early days of when you were starting it. I mean, I'm thinking about all the different logistics and like the supply chain and working with farmers. And I want to kind of yeah. hear, you know, how it all got started. So as I started like pulling on the strings, really trying to figure out why the food that I wanted didn't exist. What I realized is that it was because food is not customer driven. The way food is created is actually really far from that. Mm -hmm. And the reason food is not customer driven is actually like a true systemic problem. So, you know, as I set out to start Daily Harvest, part of what I wanted to do was really solve some of the systemic challenges with food. You know, not only the convenience and the health factor, but also like, why do we have to have to choose between preserving ourselves and preserving the planet all of the time with packaging and sustainability and regenerative farming practices and all the stuff that, that makes our food system so broken. So, you know, back in those early days, I had these really grand ambitions, still have the grand ambitions, but, you know, less power to actually make them happen in those days. And what I, what I did was I baked it all until I was yep. actually able to do them. So, you know, I was buying our ingredients at Trader Joe's. You know, I was, I obviously wasn't telling the story that I wasn't telling stories of, of things that were, you know, ha- going to happen in the future. But um, buying ingredients at Trader Joe's, got a commercial kitchen in Long Island City. And, um, you know, my right hand and my left hand were my theme, first team members bagging all those ingredients up. Um, into food that I knew solved all of the customer problems that I had surfaced in myself, but also in friends and family and started delivering across New York City and and really trying to see if I was solving problems for people other than myself. And it turned out I was. And, um, you know, I quit my job and dove in head first. That is amazing. So were you personally delivering a lot of those items? I was delivering everything. Oh my gosh. Any crazy stories of the like delivery days? (laughs) I mean, yeah. So I was nine months pregnant, um, toward like the end of the the bootstrap MVP period. Mm -hmm. Um, and I could no longer get behind the wheel of my car, (laughs) but I had a 16 year old nephew who could drive with an adult. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like getting his permit hours with you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was, it was ridiculous. So I would pick him up. I would pay him like $15 an hour to drive around and hop in and out. And I would sit in the car like a beached whale and he would run up, you know, run these like boxes up to people's apartments. And I would be like, nope, can't give us a ticket. I'm in here. (laughs) And I'm pregnant. So even more of a reason, don't try. (laughs) That's awesome. So then around that time, it looks like you were also, was that when you were also raising money? So I, I raised a few rounds at this point. 
Mm -hmm. I actually tried to raise money for a a series C at that phase. um, And it didn't go very well, to be honest, people didn't really understand how I had this like grandiose vision. and, And I was like delivering smoothies, they just couldn't connect the dots. And I guess it was too much of a leap for people. Mm-hmm. So I decided to bootstrap for as long as I possibly could. And, and when I say bootstrap, I think people assume you have money to burn. Like yep. when I say scrappy, <laughs> like literally doing things like, you know, having my nephew deliver, um, deliver the food. And I created the website entirely by myself and the packaging and printed everything. Like there was, there were no, there was no money spent to be clear. Um, and raised money officially right after I had, um, you know, had my first child and decided I needed, like I was kind of choking off growth and needed to take it from MVP stage to something much bigger. And we launched nationally in 2016, which was almost like a year after that period. And then raised money a second, raised our series A actually, when I was pregnant with my second child, which was super fun. What kind of um, experience did you have being pregnant and raising money or trying to raise money? Like what happened during that? Cause I know I have some personal experiences that maybe weren't always the most positive of people just being yeah. like, how do you plan on running a business when you're pregnant? And even now, like knowing I have three kids, people saying, how do you plan on running a business with three kids? And like, what kind of stories do you have around that? Hopefully all good ones, yeah, but so, interested to hear. I mean, the positive and the negative, the positive was that I had no time to worry about being pregnant. <laughs> I felt yep. like I was just like, oh, that like, yeah, this is just happening and I'm going to keep moving. And, and yeah. you know, I think a lot of people in that moment of, of life and in that phase kind of like stew in the moment. I, it was great. Like, you know, nine months later or 10 months later, a baby popped out and I was like moving on. <laughs> yep. You know, it's funny. Um, exactly as you just phrased it. Uh, the question that came up, not actually as frequently as I thought it might, but once or twice, I definitely got the question, how do you plan to be a good mother and run a business? And I'm like, interesting question that I'm not going to justify with an answer. (laughs) But you know, what you're trying to ask is if I'm hundred percent committed to making daily harvest successful, the answer is yes. Yep. That's great. That's a good way to do it. Like, I'm not even going to answer that. What a ridiculous question. I mean, yeah, I, I, I always say like, I could never imagine someone asking like a man, like, how do you plan on still working if your kids are right. on the way? Like, right. how are you going to do that? So. Totally. so I saw you have some really impressive names as investors, like Serena Williams, Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, tell me a little bit about how you got these investors on board. Yeah. So each one is kind of its own story. Um, but Serena is, is my favorite because I got a random email from Alexis Ohanian, mm-hmm. uh, who's now her husband at the time was, was Serena's boyfriend. And she was, and he was like, um, my girlfriend and I eat daily harvest every day. We would love to talk to you. I had no idea who his girlfriend was. And the next thing I knew I was on the phone with Serena Williams, like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, actually insane. I mean, I wouldn't have known that either. Cause I don't really know names and I stuff had, like that. So how did the conversation go? I had no idea. I mean, it was amazing. She's so cool and like was was incredibly down to earth and she was just saying how how daily harvest really helped with helped her eat the way that she wanted to eat the way that she needed to eat in a pinch and she loved the idea and this was super early on and i was like first of all how do you even know about us but like amazing yeah. and she asked if she could invest and i was like um let me think about this for a second oh that's great so after you landed serena did other investors come along when you could kind of point to like, I've got Serena Williams, like you in or out, like how, how did the other ones go? 
I mean, you know, it's funny. We were never, we weren't like really public with it until much later. So we had other investors reach out to us with interest, but it had nothing to do with, with Serena. It really was people finding us in, in pretty organic ways and, and people just getting excited about the idea and the concept and seeing the problem that I stated earlier in their own life and, and seeing that, um, you know, we don't have to compromise. We can have it all, mm-hmm. um, at, at least with our food. So, um, you know, each story, as I said, is, is pretty unique, but they really all were people who found us, which was pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a testament to the product. Very, very cool. Yeah. So when, when thinking about new customers finding you in organic or non-organic ways, like how are you getting in front of people right now? And I'm asking this question because I went on your guys' Pinterest and I saw that yeah. you have like 4 million views a month. And I was like, what? Well, how are they getting 4 million views on Pinterest? And like, so I want to hear a little bit about your customer acquisition and how you're getting in front of people. Yeah. So we have a really robust marketing mix. Um, my background is marketing. So, okay. you know, we always started with the goal of like, how do we not, how are we not beholden to any one channel? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that that's like just asking for trouble. Um, yes. And we built it in a really nimble and agile way so that as like trends and algorithms and all sorts of things change um, that we can then be nimble as a result. And, you know, we're lucky that we have a really high, um, high amount of our customers come in through, through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also done a lot of things to make that easier, like to remove the friction of people sharing when they have a, a positive daily harvest experience. You know, but there are other things that that I think have, have made us stand out on. I mean, literally, you name a marketing channel, we are on it. There's nothing that's that's like secret saucy there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I really think it comes down to our differentiated messaging and our differentiated photography and really focusing on connecting with universal human truths where people are just like, oh, you get me. Yep, I understand. I'm going to learn more. Oh, that's great. So tell me a little bit about that differentiated messaging that you're talking about. Like how how do you go about figuring out what you want to message and how do you know what will connect and what won't? Because what yep. you might think is maybe a universal truth. I might be like, oh, that's not my truth. Like, how do you guys go about making sure you're speaking to your customer? Absolutely. And, and um, you know, it, it, uh, it definitely is trial and error to understand what works, but we mm-hmm. obviously have a mission. So we're looking for customers who, with whom our mission resonates. And there are just a lot of different ways where when you like remove your marketing hat and you're like, how would a, how would a normal human say this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, you know, what is the, what is the way of saying something that, that gets somebody to like stop their scroll or, um, you know, perk their ears while listening to something that they might otherwise like fast forward past. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's the same thing on the visual side, really focusing on photography and, and imagery that's visually arresting and beautiful and also stuff that looks delicious. Like you can't yep. underestimate the salivation factor of, I don't know if that's a, if that's a real thing. I just I like that. that. If not, it needs to be. <laughs> it totally does. Um, how much of a, like a photograph actually makes you salivate uh, because mm-hmm. that's tied to how hungry it makes you and how much it makes you want something. Yep. I mean, pictures yeah, are everything, like even on your packaging and things like that. I mean, that's what makes me want to buy something. Even when I'm on DoorDash or something, like if an item doesn't have a picture on it, I'm like, nah, I'm not so sure if I want it. Even if it sounds amazing, I want to see what it actually looks like. 
So it seems like, yeah, very, very smart to have pictures on everything, especially Pinterest. Yep. And because people have such short attention spans these days and Mm -hmm. because there's so much media being thrown at you constantly, you know, we also really focus on simplicity with it. Yep. So not only is it beautiful and um, drool worthy, but it's also simplistic. That's great. So earlier you mentioned uh, also removing friction of um, having customers share their stories. How did you go about ensuring that a new customer, you know, existing customer would share their stories and keep doing them? Yeah. So what we have, have found is um, it's really, it's not so much about um, giving the customers places to share their, their thoughts and feelings. It's more about showing that you respond to them. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we did really early on is we built a, a quite agile supply chain. And the goal of that was really to be able to respond to customer needs. Like if we wanted to create a customer driven company, we had to be able to respond to customer needs. And, um, you know, it's one thing to have these amazing insights and to be innovative. And a lot of companies have the ability to do that. But if you can't respond in a timely manner, manner, like, does it really matter? I'm not Mm -hmm. so sure. So, you know, by, by showing customers, not just telling them that we are actually listening to them and creating the food, the food that they want to eat with them, you know, and, and then connecting people with the food that was created for them. It sounds pretty simplistic, uh, but there are really few companies that, that actually do it. So we're able to bring something to market in six to eight weeks from the time our customers tell us what they want. And I think that that is why customers love to share with us. And that is why, you know, we continue to be able to build these connections with our customers, that those these relationships. That's such a good point to actually show someone like, you're not just submitting something into a black box and nothing's ever happening. What does the process look like? Like, where are they submitting their feedback? And then how do you interact with them in a way that is one-on-one, but then also shows your entire, you know, customer or new customer base, here's what we did for this one customer. Like, what does that process look like from start to finish? Yeah. I mean, literally any channel that, that you can think of, okay. um, we've built a way to interact. So, you know, whether it is through our app, whether it is through, you know, text message, whether it is through social media, like you name it, we've made the conversation two ways. And what's, interesting about it is if you think back to the story I told you earlier, where, you know, kind of faking it to make it, I'm, I'm air quoting, which you obviously can't say, but like, <laughs> I like actually them. faking it, but like kind of faking it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the early days, our way of talking to our customers was every single team member at Daily Harvest would follow the Daily Harvest hashtag. And every single day, it was the expectation that they would scroll through And when somebody wrote something about Daily Harvest, somebody, the team engaged. Every single person on the team was asked to engage. So everybody, everyone from an engineer um, who might not under normal circumstances have any interaction with a customer directly to, you know, somebody on our culinary team. And, you know, it depends on what the customer put out there. But if it was something like, you know, your app is X, Y, Z, then an engineer would jump in and say, Hey, can you tell me more about that? And really just empowering the team to forge those, those, or those relationships and to have those conversations. 
I think is really what started it from a from a like a team culture perspective. And then as we've grown, we've we've like built tools in this way that allow it to happen um, in more scale. And obviously, like not everybody is scrolling through every single daily harvest hashtag these days, you know, but we have we've empowered everybody to really think about how we maintain our our vision of being truly customer driven. I love that. I mean, that's such a good experience is so different than of course like corporate culture where it's you're probably told like you are not allowed to engage with you know someone who tweets at us and it has to be approved by PR and like there's so many rules and stuff a lot of us have been taught in the past like just don't say anything and I can imagine like how great of a culture you build by saying everyone get on there like respond to these people you know it's on you to actually keep our customers happy that seems like a transformative environment so when it comes to product requests I mean it seems like there'd be an area that could be like a leaderboard where people can vote on the next products they want and actually determine that, like, is there anything like that that you have going on to kind of create more, you know, social engagement and also people having an input in the product that maybe they wouldn't have just tweeted at you and said, like, I want to have more figs. Like they might not have that idea on their own, but they would like to maybe vote on it. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we have all sorts of engagement opportunities for customers, but the important thing to know is that, None of our SKUs or collections at Daily Harvest are created to be generally, you know, accepted. So mm-hmm. we really focus on what people want from the perspective of their taste affinities, which is really differentiated. So if you think about traditional product cycles and product development tools, people will look at things like, you know, demographics, psychographic, household income, like, you know, swipe, credit card swipe data and all of these things that when you kind of zoom out really never made sense to me because, you know, I can tell you my husband and I live in the same house. We have the same household income. We share credit cards. We have the same credit card swipe data, same, you know, same education. We met in school, but when it comes down to it, he orders from a very different restaurant than where I order from at night mm-hmm. uh, when we order in. So we really try to focus on, on what taste preferences are. And we try to create food for specific groups of, of people that have similar taste preferences. So nothing mm-hmm. that we create is meant for general consumption. And that's where it gets really nuanced and, and like, like differentiated. So, you know, yes, we will say to people, um, you know, we're thinking about creating X, Y, Z, and we would love your input. We take that into consideration, but we also take into consideration that like who is actually answering that question and, and where they're coming from and what their taste preferences are. Because, you know, I might like something that is, let's say, like filled with greens and you might like something that is, that like has no garlic in it or whatever it is, because you might be allergic to garlic and like, we're not going to like the same thing. So why should we try to make food for both of us? I I love that idea of making sure that you actually focus on your customer. Cause I think it's very easy, especially with all these new D2C companies that are launching right now to get distracted and not remember like, who did you actually build this for? What is your customer base? And what are you trying to do in this world? Instead of being like, Oh, and this person wants, you know, more sugar added to the matcha. And okay, I didn't really want to add a bunch of sugar to it, but this person wants it. Like it's, it's a good reminder to not get distracted. Right. But if we do have a group of customers that, you know, that tell us that they want that same matcha, that's a bit sweeter. Like 
we can accommodate that. It's just, we would never target the same food to like, we would know who we're targeting what to. Yep. Very cool. So I'm, I'm very interested in the partnerships that you have with farmers and like what your supply chain looks like behind the scenes that you can make these really quick um, product pivots or new products coming out in like six to eight weeks. So can you speak a little bit about like, what did that look like forming those partnerships and any hiccups that you experienced in the early days of trying to get that worked out? Yeah. I mean, I, as I said, it started with Trader Joe's because every time I reached out to a farm, they were like, like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, can you guarantee this entire crop? And I was like, I don't know. Oh, um, they were asking you to guarantee a whole crops for them. I mean, sometimes you have to, if you, if you want to be in control of, of how sweet it is, what the nutrition level is, you really have to be. And that was the vision because, you know, the way that, that I always envisioned taking care of food was really at the systemic level. So, you know, really to make change, you have to go to that level of scale in your purchasing. And, you know, we're incredibly meticulous about the ingredients we use and how we source them. We actually have an entire team that's dedicated to finding the, the best farms you know, we have over 400 farms that we work with directly. So, you know, we set wow. incredibly rigorous standards that ensure, you know, not only are our partners using regenerative practices in their farmings, in their farming, you know, things like increasing biodiversity, improving the water cycle, using organic farming practices, you know, strengthening the health and vitality of our, of our farm soil, using fair labor practices. But we also are really particular about when we harvest our food. Like we want to make sure that the fig or the blueberry that you're eating is unparalleled, uh, not only from a nutrition perspective, but also from a taste perspective. So that means that we have to let every single ingredient like reach its full nutritional and flavor potential on the vine or on the tree. And then we freeze everything within 24 hours of it being picked, which is, is really differentiated. Um, mm -hmm. And because of that rigor, our food is, is like actually more nutritious than the stuff that you buy in the grocery store, which is something that a lot of people are surprised to hear. I think a lot of people see frozen as like not as nutrition, not as nutritious, um, inferior when in fact, unless you are picking something straight from the farm and consuming it within three days, that's just not, not the case. You know, when we work with these farmers to also create entirely new supply chains, which, which is amazing. Like if our customers told us that they really wanted celery, something with celery root last fall, and mm -hmm. we worked with a farmer to create an entire supply chain of frozen celery root that had never existed before, you know, and what's cool about a frozen supply chain is there's actually 50% less food waste. And there's just like so many benefits to the system overall, but you know, we really think a lot about how we create the most nourishing, best tasting food. And it really all comes back to those farm relationships. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, like you said, don't understand the frozen aspect of, a, of why it's better. Because I know a while back, I heard that about fish too, that like, yeah. it's better to have frozen fish that's frozen right away when it's caught than getting something fresh, like fresh feels like it's healthier, but actually it's more nutritional if you get the frozen one that was like frozen right on the ship or boat or whatever I mean, it is. When, when you think about the frozen aisle in the grocery store, most people associate it with like dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets. Yeah. Yes. Which right? might be, like, may or may not be in my freezer right now for my two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't judge. Um, you know, and when you ask most people what's in their freezer, it's like, you know, ice cream and vodka and ice cream, yeah. like these are not bad things. 
but it just shows you how like, you know, the food system has evolved and, you know, the, the microwave dinner was created not because it was healthy. It was because it was because it was convenient and it was because it was created during this industrial revolution when food and, and science melded together in ways that is just so unnatural. Um, And we kind of just stayed there. So, you know, I think there's been a lot, not I think, there's been a lot of education for customers to, to help them understand the benefits of frozen, not only for themselves, not only for their, their taste buds, but also for the food system as a whole. Yeah, that's great. So the one thing I'm thinking about too, is working with farms, I can see them being on older tech stacks, I'll call them, or no tech stacks, like how do you, (laughs) yeah, I was going to say like non-existent tech stacks, stacks. (laughs) maybe unless they're like the, you know, the very advanced farm with the drones and all that going on. Yeah. So that's what, that's (laughs) what, like you're working with 400 farms. How are you, you know, placing these orders and getting things to happen quickly and making sure that, you know, it's up to your standards and that nothing's going to get backed up. Like, how do you do that with farms that don't have a tech stack? I mean, we built the technology for it. Tell me a bit about that. Like, what was that? What that process looked like? Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, we only had a few farms and it was easier to manage. But obviously, once you hit a certain scale, it becomes a little unwieldy. And it's not just 400 farms. It's, you know, there's four crops a year and different ingredients. Like, you know, one farm might have six ingredients that they're growing for us. Mm-hmm. So it can get really complicated. But, um, you know, as I said, we have a, a a large team that really focuses on this and they're incredibly passionate. So what we did is we thought about how technology could make their job easier, like how we can leverage technology to remove some of the friction in managing the quality of our food and, you know, the supply chain in general. And we really built, you know, a verification system that like, I would say a trust but verify system where, you know, we set certain quality standards, but we also, you know, because we can't, we don't have 400 people who are on site at every farm with every, um, you know, every harvest. And then there's like a, a verification system where, you know, they, they're sending us samples constantly to make sure that, that everything is as we say it needs to be. And, you know, we're verifying nutrition after something is frozen to make sure that it's as it's supposed to be. Um, and, you know, through every step, we are we are trusting and verifying. And all of that is like rigorously like notated in, in our technology stack. That's really cool. So it seems like you're bringing a lot of farmers online. Have they asked to reuse the technology with other partners too? Like that could be a whole separate business. Like here's technology that you can now have with anyone else ordering from you. Totally. I mean, we work with a lot of small farmers. So a lot of farmers don't have a lot of other business. Like we've, we've really grown to a scale where most of our farmers are um, daily harvest farmers. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Really cool when you think about it. But yeah, I mean, we've definitely had, had people ask, but we've got to focus on our core competencies and, and, and what we're trying to achieve. Yep. Yeah, that's great. So everyone's obviously looking into subscription businesses right now. That's always top of mind. Like, should this business be a subscription or not? Everyone wants one. How do you think about, you know, retaining your customers and enticing them to, you know, stay with you for the long haul? Yeah. So um, one thing that's interesting about Daily Harvest is we, like on the, um, on the outside, we kind of look like a subscription, but we're actually not a subscription. We're really what we call a replenishment business because, 
if once you sign up for daily harvest, our goal is to make sure that your freezer is always stocked. And it's not because that's good for us. It's because that's how we make sure that you have the food that you want when you want it. Like at that moment, when you're, when you're hangry, when you're, you know, reaching for that bar, you yep. need to have the right food in your freezer. Otherwise you're going to make a different choice. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we think a lot about what that replenishment looks like. And we also never want you to get an order of daily harvest that you don't want. Yep. Right. So we actually communicate with our customers at nauseum to make sure that we're never sending them anything that they don't want. And they're only getting the food when they do want it. And that's what makes us different from um, like a subscription business where you have to consume your food or use your razor or whatever it is within a specific period of time. And it's only good for that period of time because we're frozen. We're really not perishable, which is a huge benefit and and allows us to be even more customer centric. But, you know, really thinking about maintaining our customer base, removing friction for our customers and making things as easy as possible for them. Uh, You know, making their account as easy as possible to manage, making sure that they're getting food, the food that they want when they want it. Um, and we found that there's a direct correlation between removing that friction, being customer driven. Like we don't even think about, about retention. We think about how, how can we be more customer driven? How can we get our customers exactly what they want? And what we found is that like those, those things correlate really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. So what is that backend account management look like for your customers? Um, And one thing that's coming to mind is like uh, the past couple interviews I've done, we've touched on one-click ordering, you know, and how that's a big thing that a lot of people are expecting now. And I could see that maybe coming into play for you guys too, where you're talking about, you're more about replenishing items. Like if I'm out of my, you know, matcha or smoothie or whatever it was that I really just enjoyed going onto my account and just, just ordering that and not having to have minimums or anything, just being like, that's what I want. And just doing it one-off. Like, how do you guys have the backend working? Yeah, so we don't do that. And the reason why is because we really think of ourselves, as I said, as replenishment. So our customer behavior is much more going to shop at Costco, let's say. Like, you don't go to mm-hmm. Costco to buy one thing. Yeah. It's just it's never worth the schlep. I need 10 pounds of butter when I go there, so. <laughs> totally. But you have certain things that you go and you buy a lot of. So, you know, our customer really thinks about how can Daily Harvest fill my entire freezer when your inventory at home starts to dwindle. That's when you, when you make your next purchase. So for mm-hmm. us, one quick ordering is not a thing. And we find that actually there's tension between how much cognitive load like you reduce and how much customer friction you reduce and people really getting the food that they want. So there's definitely a balance there, but you know, what we do instead is, you know, we have an app and our app is incredibly customer driven and it's about communication with our customers and making sure that, as I said, they're getting the food that they want when they want it. But there is, it's definitely, you know, as easy as humanly possible, but not so easy that you're going to get something that you don't want. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. And I think that's a really good reminder too, that like everyone might be, you know, obsessed with the subscription model because that is good for businesses to lock people in but that might actually leave a bad taste in a lot of customers' mouths. And your model is completely different. Just like focus on what they want and what they need and make it easy for them to order and refill yep. quickly without having to come back a thousand times. So Yep, and make works. it as easy as possible, honestly, for them to pause and cancel and do all the things that they want to do because when you do that, they come back. Yep, I love that. Low friction is where it's at. So to go to a little more general commerce questions, what kind of disruptions do you see coming to commerce right now, maybe in the next like couple of years? 
I mean, look, I think COVID has been, it's, it's been an interesting few months. Um, yeah. But what it has done is it's really accelerated a bunch of trends that we've seen. And you, we've seen this like huge adoption of e-commerce and people's willingness to, to like stick around once they've tried it. You know, as you had early adopters previously who were signing up for, um, you know, food delivery or whatever it may be delivered to their home, what we're seeing now is, you know, people who are not early adopters, so more of like the mainstream signing up, and there are different needs, and there are, there's a different level of education, and there's all sorts of, of um, you know, nuance to take into account with that trend. So, you know, we're thinking a lot about that, how we continue to remove friction for, for this, um, you know, different type of customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really great. So we have a couple minutes left and I want to jump over to the lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Rachel? No. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Prepare yourself. Take a few deep breaths. Get in the game. (laughs) All right. We'll start with the easier ones first. Uh, What's up next on your Netflix queue? Oh, wait, I can't remember what it's called. It's like the <laughs> man it. in the pumpkin castle. Hold on. Oh, is that Amazon? The man in the high castle? Oh, it's, sorry, it's not Netflix. That's okay. Yeah. So you're, have you started it yet or? I haven't, but I am such a, um, like a history nerd. And I don't know how I missed that this show existed, but I cannot <laughs> tell you how excited I am to watch it. Yeah, it, it's very good. Yeah. And I also feel like there's something about current state of affairs and dystopian society is that it really resonates. So let's, let's see what it's got for us. Yeah. I mean, I like that one a lot. I think it's a good reminder. I'm always very biased and ask about Netflix, but like Amazon, they've got some good stuff. I mean, I binge watched, I think it was like Marvelous Miss Maisel. If you need to balance yourself out a bit from like dystopian to like fun and cute, also a very good series that I loved. That show is amazing. <laughs> oh, you like it too? Yeah. It, it always yeah. leaves me with like the happy feeling like, oh, this is cute. I love this. <laughs> and and people tell me all the time that I remind them of Rachel Brosnan. And I'm like, that is a huge compliment. Thank you. That is. She's awesome. Yes. Good. What's up next on your reading list? And it can be business or personal. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's never split the difference, which... Mm-hmm. I've actually read before, but I like to read it every few years because I think it's the best negotiating book out there. And I'm not like a natural negotiator, but it's obviously a huge part of my job. So um, it's it's coming up on time to read it once more. That's great. What is one thing that comes to mind when you think about that book? Like one lesson or principle where you're like, yeah, I'm not going to split the difference. Like anything high level <laughs> other um, than what I just oh said, God. which is just jacking the title. Okay. So my favorite takeaway from the book, and it's just a reminder, it's really about listening. You know, it's funny. I I think a lot about toddler psychology these days because I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and there's a lot in common with uh, the tactics in this book and toddler psychology, but it's really about like validating people's emotions and feelings um, and creating trust, trust and safety to be able to negotiate better. Oh, that's good. I like that. It shows that like so many things are similar in life. Dealing with toddlers is the same thing as negotiating for like your salary or investment money. Same, same. It really is. It's crazy. I'll have to check that one out. What app or piece of tech are you using right now that's making you more efficient in your life? Okay. Um, So this is such a, a weird one. 
But my husband just introduced me to like the, the app for my cable provider. And I had no idea that this existed. I never watched TV ever, but given that we're in day three of like the sit and wait for the results of our election, Mm -hmm. um, I've been able to, to like, just pop it up (laughs) and, and have the news like on, on live stream behind me. And it's been incredible because I, like previously I was, I was refreshing my, you know, Twitter feed every 20 minutes or whatever it was, but just kind of having it in live feed behind me has been a huge unlock for my efficiency, um, in this crazy time. That's, that's great. I didn't even know. I haven't even thought about apps from cable providers, so it's a good reminder for everyone. I like that. I, it never occurred to me that one would even exist. And I'm very happy with it. That's great. What's one thing that you wish you knew more about? It could be a topic, a trend, a theme, anything. I really wish I knew more about human psychology. I feel like I um, every time I read something or learn more, I get really excited and I want to dive in more, but I, I really never have time to. And it's something that I feel like would make me like better at what I do every day if I really understood the psychology behind it. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I completely agree about that. Something I always want to dive into more and haven't had the time yet. So, Well, Rachel, this has been such a fun interview. Where can people find out more about you and Daily Harvest? At dailyharvest.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Upnext in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.